Well, the very warmest of welcomes to this week's service. We do hope you can find somewhere quiet and peaceful for the next half an hour or so as we worship God together. But let's start off with a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you promised to hear all our prayers. The formal ones we might say in church, but also the small cries for help and mercy as we struggle through our daily lives. We thank you that there is no concern too small that you will not hear us. Lord, today we cast all our cares upon you because you care for us. Lord, in your mercy hear our prayer. And together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. And so to our opening hymn today, which is Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Do join in, won't you? Yeah. 
The theme of our service today is the issue of right and wrong. Very straightforward, very basic. The Bible is full of people who do things which are right, and also a lot of times when they do things wrong. And to help focus our minds, we're going to read together Psalm 1, which is entitled The Two Ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. And Mike's going to lead us in the reading of this now, and we do hope that you join in with the bold type. We read together Psalm 1. I'll lead with the light type if you'll join with the bold type. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They're like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season. Their leaves do not wither. In all that they do they prosper. The wicked are not so. They're like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. During the COVID pandemic, a lot of our youth work hasn't been able to take place. Here in Neston and Little Neston, we're involved with the Open the Book project, which is run by Neston and District Churches together. For the last five or six years, we've been going into all six of our local primary schools and sharing dramatic Bible stories in their assemblies. They've become a firm favourite with the children, and it's been a real shame that Covid has stopped us being able to do that. Over the summer, a team of us have got together and made some short videos for Open the Book Stories, and we have sent these into our primary schools to enable them to use those in their RE lessons and possibly for their school assemblies. We're never quite sure who is actually going to watch our services that we place online as the Wirral Circuit. So just in case there are young people watching, or even if you're young in heart, we thought we'd share one of these Open the Book videos with you. And the story we're going to share with you today is called The Two Houses. Let's hear that now, shall we? I wonder if you like stories. When Jesus was a little boy, there were no story books for children. Most ordinary people couldn't read, so storytelling was very important. Jewish mums and dads would tell their children the stories passed down by their grandparents since God first made the world. Jesus told lots of stories to anyone who would listen. He used his stories to teach people important things. Sometimes he was even called the teacher. He became famous for his storytelling, and people used to flock to hear him. It worried Jesus that people might go away without really understanding what he was telling them, so he usually took the trouble to explain the meaning of the stories. Let's open the book at a tale of two houses. See if you can work out what Jesus is saying here. A tale of two houses. Two men decided to build a house, one each. They looked around God's beautiful land to find the best spot. The houses needed to be near water and fertile ground so that the men and their families could grow crops and vegetables 
and graze their cattle and sheep. Both men thought it would also be good to have a really beautiful view so that when the day's work was done, they could sit outside, relaxing with their wives and enjoy all that God had provided for them. The men, let's call this one Fred and let's call this one Simon, each set off to find the right spot to build his house. Fred quickly found what he was looking for, a good view near the water and collected his tools and set to work. Simon poked and prodded and hummed and hard, but he too found a place he thought was just perfect for a house. So they set to work. Fred worked quickly and had the walls half up before Simon had made his first clay brick. All Simon had done was to dig a big, shallow pit. Get a wiggle on, mate, said Fred as summer approached. At this rate, your roof won't be on by autumn. Simon said nothing. He stared at Fred's house and went back to work on his pit. As he worked, he prayed. Help me to do this right, Lord. You know the best way to build a house and the best way to live a life. I will trust in you always. Get a wiggle on, mate said Fred as autumn approached. My roof's nearly finished. Your wall's only a metre high. You'll never be ready when the cold strikes. Simon said nothing. He stared at Fred's house and went back to work on his wall. As he worked, he prayed. Help me to do this right, Lord. You know the best way to build a house and the best way to live a life. I will trust in you always. Get a wiggle on, mate, said Fred as winter approached. Bit late for roofing now. My house is finished and we're moving in tomorrow. Snug as a bug in a rug. You'll never be ready for winter. Simon said nothing. He stared at Fred's house and went back to work on his roof. As he worked, he prayed. Help me to do this right, Lord. You know the best way to build a house and the best way to live a life. I will trust in you always. Simon finished his house just before the winter storm started. Torrential rains began and the winds blew and soon the river rose. On and on it went for days and days. Simon was glad he'd taken such care with the foundations of his house. He'd made sure he found a flat piece of land with a good rocky base. He'd made his clay bricks and built slowly and carefully, making sure everything was watertight. He'd trusted in God to show him the best way both to build his house and to live his life. Simon peered out of his small window, just in time to see Fred's house give its first wobble. The ground it was built on seemed to be disappearing into the river. He stared at Fred's house as it swayed and lurched and then fell to pieces with a loud crash. And all that was left of it was a heap of mush on the sliding sand near the riverbank.
sensible Simon was like the people who listened to Jesus and built their lives on what he told them. Foolish Fred was like those who didn't. So, did you manage to work out the meaning of the story? Sensible Simon was like a person who listens to the wise words of Jesus and trusts them. That person builds a good, strong life for themselves, just like the good, strong house. Let's close our eyes. If building a good life means listening to wise words, whose words are we going to listen to? And whose words will we ignore? Think about that now. I'm going to say a prayer, and if you'd like to make it your prayer, you can say Amen at the end. Dear God, help us to listen to those who have wise words to share, and help us to ignore silly ideas. Amen. resist sharing with you the Sunday School song of The Wise Man Built His House Upon the Rock. I'm sure you all know it very well. And remember, it has actions, so do join in, won't you? Well, that was great fun. Our Gospel reading today uses this very passage from the Sermon on the Mount. So let's hear Matthew chapter 7 verses 24 to 27 and Mike again is kindly going to read this for us. 
The Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In our reading today, Jesus calls us to build our lives on his teaching. That's the right way. But he also warns us that failing to do so can have catastrophic consequences like the man who built his house upon the sand. Have you ever thought about how you personally work out whether something is right or wrong? Of course, we use the terms right and wrong in a number of different ways. In the video format of our service today, you can see a picture of Michael Portillo in one of his famous outfits that he wears for his railway travel programmes. He's wearing a sky blue jacket and orange pants. Some of the colour combinations he comes up with are lurid in the extreme. We might say, no, that's the wrong colour for him. This is all about choices. We could say for a lady that, yes, that's a lovely perfume, it just suits her. This type of right and wrong can be thought of as preference. It's subjective, it's very personal. (laughs) We might never think of wearing a jacket and trousers like Michael Portillo, but he has deemed it right for him to help him stand out in his entertaining travel programmes. There's a second type of right and wrong as well. It's that which we might call utility. So, for example, a spanner is the wrong tool for driving home a nail, and you don't hammer screws in, you use a screwdriver. We can think of the walker's maxim, there's no such thing as the wrong weather, just the wrong clothing. See if you can think of some other examples yourself. In this case, something is right because it works, and wrong because it doesn't. And this type of right and wrong is what we would call objective. It can be measured against a standard. It's not a matter of personal opinion. In our reading today, of course, Jesus isn't particularly talking about preference or utility. He's talking about things which are much more important than that. The third type of right and wrong concerns morality. So, for example, lying or stealing is morally wrong. It's not an example of preference or utility. Stop and think for a moment. How do you work out whether a proposed action is right or wrong? An immediate point of reference, of course, is our own conscience. It would seem that a conscience is found in all people, of all cultures, and in all ages. We would say that it is a universal aspect of being human. It seems to be hardwired into us. And the Bible refers to our conscience as being the law of God written on our hearts. In our video, we have a picture of a young man pulling a purse out of a lady's pocket. It's obvious that he is stealing her property. Well, is it subjectively wrong or objectively wrong? From her perspective, the young man is a thief, taking what doesn't belong to him. But maybe the young man is saying to himself, well, all I'm doing from my worldview is redistributing the wealth of the nation in my favour. It's right for me. Would we accept that as a legitimate answer? 
Probably not. That would be to reduce morality to a matter of preference. Let's think now for a moment about how God relates to morality. Well, it's obvious that even a cursory reading of the Bible reveals God to be a moral being. His holiness is a manifestation of his moral purity. And what's more, he places on us, his creatures, well, the obligation to be holy like he is. A tall order indeed. The Bible, of course, tells us that we human beings are actually created in God's image. In other words, we're moral beings as well, like he is, with the ability to make moral choices, whether they be right or whether they be wrong. For us, though, there is a consequence of being morally aware, and that is that we are also therefore accountable to God for the choices we make. As we read through the early books of the Bible, we are again and again faced with stories which have a moral dimension to them. Whether it's Adam and Eve, or Cain and Abel, or Noah and the people of the day, we find that they're moral agents making moral decisions, sometimes the wrong ones. When God chooses a nation for himself, the people of Israel, he gives them a basic moral code to live by, which we call, of course, the Ten Commandments. And of course, because God is the author of the Ten Commandments and the law surrounding it, they're an expression of God's own moral nature. And obviously, as God does not change in their morality, they are as relevant to us today as they were to the children of Israel in Moses' day. They're not subjective, they're not a matter of opinion, they're objective and universal. They apply to all people, in all places, and at all times. And of course, that means you and me today as well. Living according to God's standards of morality is called walking in righteousness. And of course, breaking God's moral code is referred to as sin. So we could define sin as being any state or thought or deed that God deems wrong. So ultimately, we do not decide what is right or wrong. God does. And sin, therefore, is anything that does not conform to God's holiness. So we are sinners in that we're not pure like God is. And because we're not pure like God is, we do impure things. We therefore sin. Time and again in the scriptures, we're admonished to consider our ways, to think about how we're living, whether we are making the right choices and living in the right way, or making the wrong choices. We have to, if you like, evaluate our own holiness. And therefore, whether we're a good person or a bad one. We as human beings, though, tend to judge ourselves as good or bad by comparing ourselves to other people that we know, those who live round about us. And we'll identify some people who we think are possibly better than we are, and lots of people who are worse. God, however, judges us against the perfection of himself, and that is a completely different matter. One of the things that we have to come to terms with in our spiritual life is seeing our spiritual condition from God's perspective rather than our own. Jesus, during the Last Supper, tells us something about how the Holy Spirit is going to operate in the world. Jesus says, 
And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And it's through this ministry of the Holy Spirit that we come to realise our spiritual condition and that we don't need just a teacher, we need a saviour. Remember, Jesus came to die not only that we might be forgiven, but that we might be changed into his image. So God loves us, and he expresses this through the fact that he wants to change us to be like his perfect son Jesus. He wants to make us holy. The big question that we have to answer, though, in our everyday lives is this. God wants us to be holy, but what about us in the very centre of our beings? Do we want to be holy, or do we like things just the way they are? The writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament exhorts us to pursue the holiness without which no one will see God. That would imply that to be conformed to God's holiness is not just an option for the super-spiritual, but a vital necessity if we are to enter heaven and stand in God's presence. So in a sense, one of the prime aims of the Christian life is to pursue holiness. We're now going to hear a wonderful song called Purify My Heart, which is a song about the desire to have God's holiness as part of our lives.
so to our prayers of intercession. Heavenly Father, we bring before you now those who we love, who are near and dear to us, who are really struggling at this present time. And Lord, in this moment of silence, we now bring those people to you and ask that you might have mercy upon them and care for them. Father, we think of those struggling to get around at the moment with the problems with fuel. And Father, we pray that that might work its way out in the next few days. Lord, we pray particularly for those people who are struggling with moral choices today, for those people who know what is right to do, but don't find they have the strength to do it. Father, we ask that you strengthen them and guide them aright. Lord, and we're aware that we live on a fragile world, and we pray for those who are suffering from extremes of weather We think of those who are suffering from the actions of volcanoes as well, seeing their homes destroyed before them without the power to do anything about it at all. Father, in your mercy, hear our prayers. And so, Lord, to our closing prayers today. Heavenly Father, we aren't very good at being holy. There is something in us that seems to resist your call to a pure life. Lord, when we resist your Holy Spirit, forgive us, we pray. Unless you change us, we cannot be different. Come, Holy Spirit, and bend us and melt us and mould us to your will that we might manifest Jesus in this world. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who never did anything wrong and did your will at all times. Amen. And our blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.